please uh, turn your Bibles to Joshua uh, chapter 13. We're going to be uh, entering a new section of the book of Joshua this week. Remember, we've been uh, going through uh, Joshua over the last few months, and we are entering the second half of the book of Joshua. And there's a, there's a, a big shift that takes place in between uh, chapters 1 through 12 and chapters 13 through 24. And in the first half of Joshua, there's a lot of action, there's battles and uh, conquests and so forth. And in the last half of the book of Joshua, there's a, a lot more lists and uh, names and kind of divisions of the land and things like that. And, and some have said, well, is, is the last half of Joshua less interesting than the first half? Is the second half a little more boring? And I said, well, um, let's, let's, let's put it this way. Um, you know, when was the last time you heard a sermon on the Battle of Jericho versus a sermon on the allotment of the tribe of Zebulun? I mean, there is a little bit of, uh, for some people, I say, you know, this, this isn't as interesting to me as, as the action of the first 12 chapters. But what makes, what makes a story about inheritance interesting? Well, it's, it's more interesting if it involves you or, or someone that you know who's getting the thing, who's getting the inheritance, right? I shared uh, a few months ago about uh, right after my dad passed away. You know, we went down to Texas and my mom grabbed the four kids and our spouses and we went into my parents' room and she read a portion of my dad's will to us kids. And I assure you, it was incredibly interesting to us, just the, the thought that my dad had taken into some of the things that he left us. But that the things that my mom was sharing may not have been interested, interesting to you if you were in that room or, or all that seemed all that valuable. So, for example, uh, my dad left me uh, $2.89 in coins. Uh, not that valuable, not, uh, not something I'm going to be able to base my uh, retirement on, but incredibly valuable to me because it was 29 coins. Now, I know some of you math people don't spend the rest of the sermon trying to figure out what, how many quarters and dimes and nickels. I, I know some of you. Um, it was, it was $2.89 of, of coins, 29 coins that were all from the year 1977, uh, the year I was born. And my dad, every time he found a 1977 coin, he, he put it in a, a little box that he had saved for me. So incredibly, just incredibly moving to, to read about that when my mom was, was reading through his will. Or the other thing he left me uh, that was of interest to me is this, is this ring. This is his first wedding ring. He got several, he and my mom exchanged wedding rings a couple of times as, as uh, they uh, went through life. But this is his first wedding ring, and he left it to me. And... I looked at the receipt last night in uh, my, my drawer. My mom spent $45 on this, July 5th, 1975, she purchased this. and uh, You know, it's, it's special to me for many, many reasons, obviously. One of the things, my dad and I didn't, <laughs> my dad and I didn't share a lot of clothing, right? Um, no body dimension on us is the same size. Like, uh, we can't share shoes or shirts or pants. We couldn't even share hats that he had. But for, by some providential act, our ring fingers are exactly the same size. So just incredibly, 
uh, just incredibly sweet to be able to wear my dad's wedding ring from time to time. Now, all of that, not interesting, not, doesn't, not, not valuable, unless, unless it affects you. And so as we come to these chapters, what I'm going to encourage you to do is, is first of all, to, to look at what's taking place in chapters 13 through 22 here, and really even through the end, through chapter 24. Look through these Look, look through the eyes of the Israelites as you read these chapters. Imagine you are part of the people of God at this time who are receiving what God has promised you. In fact, we are going to be looking at these as, as heirs ourselves, right? We are those who, like the Israelites, are sons and daughters of God who have a father who has promised an inheritance. And as we see our Heavenly Father's faithfulness in his promises and giving his people what he's promised them in their inheritance, you and I are encouraged as well. So I want to take a couple minutes here, and I want us to walk through the chapters that we're going to spend the next three weeks on. And I want you to see what's taking place. And, and this is a little... I understand this is a little content-heavy, okay? It's a little content-heavy this morning as we begin. But I encourage you to kind of do the work here, understand what's taking place. This will help you as you study God's Word. Remember, one of the reasons that we're doing this overview of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth is so that we can, and other sections of the Old Testament, so that we can understand God's Word more completely, understand God's plan of redemption history here, redemptive history, and that we can understand uh, different sections of God's Word as, as we read it. So let's, let's look, and let me kind of give you a little bit of an overview of what's taking place here in these chapters, all right? And it begins in Joshua 13, and God tells Joshua, look, you're, you're not going to be around long enough to, to finish the do- job of subduing all of the land, okay? And so what I want you to do, God tells Joshua, is I want you to divide up the inheritance. He says in verse 7, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, let's, let's review a little bit and understand what's taking place, what's taking place in the past and what's taking place as we come to Joshua 13. Remember in the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you this land. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac, right? Then Isaac has a son named, or two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has how many sons? Twelve, right? The, the twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. You come into the book of Exodus, and the people, the descendants of the twelve tribes are are there enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt, and they are to return to the land that God has promised them. They come right up to the edge of the Jordan River, and through lack of, of faith, through unbelief, they, they don't enter the promised land, and they, are, they have to wander around for, for 40 years before they're able to enter the promised land, which is taking place in Joshua now that we're studying together. So 12 tribes... And uh, before they enter into the promised land, they've conquered some land on the east side of the Jordan River. And as you look at the last half of chapter 13 here, we're reminded that two and a half, 
tribes said, you know what, Moses? This is before Moses died, obviously. Two and a half tribes said, hey, Moses, you know what? We're, we're pretty happy here. We like this land here, and so we want our inheritance here on the eastern side of the river. And so Moses says, that's okay. So those two tribes are uh, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. Okay, so 12 tribes, two and a half tribes say they want to have their inheritance here. That leaves nine and a half tribes that want their inheritance in, on, the, on the west side of the Jordan River. So you come into chapter 14 and 15, and there's the, that deals with the tribe allotment for the tribe of Judah. And then you come into chapters 16 and 17, and you have the allotment for the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are the two sons of Joseph. And then you come into chapter 18. And as you come into chapter 18, you have seven tribes left, right? So you have five chapters have dealt with these other tribes. Now you've got seven tribes that are still left. And so chapter 18, they cast some lots. Chapter 18, the last half, they deal with Benjamin. Then you come into chapter 19, and they talk about everybody else, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan, and then they end with Joshua. Now, if you're, if you're paying attention, again, this is we're, we're kind of sharing some things here to help you understand what happens in the Old Testament. You might say, well, what happened to the tribe of Levi? So 12 tribes, Levi was one of the tribes, and we're going to deal with that more next week, okay? We'll, we'll see how, the, how all the math still adds up to 12 tribes and the tribe of Levi doesn't get an inheritance here. God is their inheritance. In chapter 21, 2021 deals with uh, some cities, and then chapter 22 talks about the, the eastern tribes and how they're going to engage in proper worship. Now, you say, Daniel, why do these chapters matter for me? Okay? Why do I care about the boundaries of the tribe of the people of Simeon? Why do I care about... The, the remaining land in chapter 18 and all of those things. Here's why. Just like Israel, as we come into, into this portion of Joshua, the, the, the tribe of Israel is in an already not yet state. God has promised them this land, but they haven't yet fully received it. And we are like the people of Israel. God has promised us an inheritance. It, it, it's guaranteed God has said, it's, it's going to happen, and yet we've not received that inheritance in its fullness yet. In fact, as, as you look at the Old Testament and you look at how the people describe their inheritance, we see that they understood that there was a deeper spiritual significance that God was teaching them as he talked to them about their inheritance. Remember the psalmist says in Psalm 16, ultimately the Lord is my, my chosen portion and my, and my cup. You hold my lot the lines, that is the lines for my inheritance, have fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And the New Testament describes our inheritance in Christ using some of this Old Testament language. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says that, 
uh, he's given this parable, he says, the king will say to those who are receiving the inheritance, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Colossians chapter 3, you know that it's from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of as your reward, you're serving the Lord Christ. Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We are those who are going to receive an inheritance. God has made kingdom promises to us. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at trust and kingdom promises. How do those who are the people of God who are going to receive an inheritance trust in God? And this morning, we're going to look at chapter 14, so you can turn back to chapter 14, and we're going to look at Caleb, the story of Caleb, and see an example of someone who trusts in God's kingdom promises and acts accordingly. So if you would... Uh, Please stand with me as we read God's word together, if you're able to do so this morning. We're going to begin in verse 6. Remember, this this is the people of God receiving the inheritance, and in chapter 14, we read about Caleb. Beginning in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest for more. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word and the application of it this morning. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for 
the inheritance we have in your son, Jesus. We pray that by your grace you would allow us to walk by faith, continuing to trust in you. You would allow us to persevere in believing you and in trusting in your promises. We pray that our hearts would be convicted where they need to be this morning and we would experience the, the joy of your grace at work in our lives. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. One of the most, the most important question that we can ask ourselves and come to a biblical understanding of is, how can a person be saved? How can a person be saved? How can a person know that they have eternal life? remember a story of a very famous theologian whenever he was in college, before he was a believer, before he was a Christian, someone came up to him, like an evangelist on campus, and said, hey, are you saved? And this, this, this man had, had no idea what the question even meant. He said, well, am I, am I saved from what? <laughs> Not quite sure what it, what it meant to be, to be saved. And sometimes when we talk about how to become a Christian, when we talk about what it means to be a believer, we use words that that we kind of understand as Christians, but, but maybe people who aren't believers or maybe people who haven't been a part of our, our same church tradition, some words that they might not understand. So if I were to ask you the question this morning, how can you be confident that you're saved and maybe even elaborate on it if that question doesn't quite make sense? If I were to say, how can you know that you are saved from God's wrath, the, the wrath that you deserve because of your sins. How, how can you know that you're saved from that and in a relationship with God? What, what would you say? How, how might you answer that question? And maybe even in your answer to that question, you would, you would use some words that we kind of all think that we understand, but, but maybe we don't all fully understand. So maybe you'd say, well, I'm, I'm saved by believing in Jesus, which is, that's the right answer. That's a good answer. Good. Uh, hopefully you would say something like that. But, but, but what does that mean? What does it mean to believe? In, what does that word believe mean? Maybe you say, well, I, I know that I'm, I'm a Christian because I have, I, I've been saved by God's grace alone. So no works that I did. It's God's grace alone. And through faith alone, in, in Jesus Christ alone. So I'm not trusting myself. I'm, I'm believing wholly in Jesus Christ. But, but what, is, what does faith there mean? That word faith, sometimes people mean various things whenever they, they say the word faith. Sometimes when a person says faith, what they mean is they, they have some nice thoughts about Jesus. So they've heard some stories about Jesus in Sunday school, and they, they have faith in him. They, they think nice thoughts about Jesus. Sometimes people think they, they know a lot of facts about Jesus. They, they know that he died on the cross for their sins, and they, they know that he rose from the dead. They, they know that he's in heaven with God now, and say, well, I, I, I've known these things my whole life. I can't ever remember not knowing these things, and so I'd, I would say that I'm a Christian. But is that, is that what belief means? Does it mean to, to know a lot about Jesus? Does it mean to have some nice thoughts about Jesus? Many of us could, could think of people we know who have said some nice things about Jesus and, and then left the faith. 
Some people have, have maybe uh, we've interacted with them and they've gone through a crisis in life and they, they said a lot of good spiritual things and we were kind of encouraged about what was going on in their life. And then as, as, as the crisis in their life passed, so did their faith, it would seem. Is, is that what it means to believe in Jesus, to kind of have some, some nice thoughts about Jesus at a, a moment in time, but not to continue to have that, that trust in Christ? Some of us can think of examples of people who have, who have been seemingly part of the church for, for decades and then left the faith. Think of that very famous uh, pastor and, and author who was just for decades in very prominent ministry and, and this year announced that he was no longer uh, would no longer consider himself to be a Christian. We can think of examples of, of people who weren't famous. I think of, I mentioned before, a, a pastor that I worked with who was very, just a very close friend, and, and I, I still glean things from his ministry while he was a pastor, but now he's left the faith and no longer would consider himself a Christian. What do you do with that? How, how do you understand that type of faith? The reality is, the reality is that true biblical faith, the faith that comes from God, is a faith that, that perseveres, that, that keeps on going. Now, sometimes when we think of the word persevere or, or continuing to, to go, we think of terms of human effort. So, okay, a person that's persevering is a person that on their effort just keeps on, keeps on going and going and going. Uh, yesterday, I, uh, I was at the Indianapolis Marathon. I was watching people. I was, I was standing at mile 26 of a 26.2-mile race and just watching people. Um, look, they look like zombies as they're reaching that, that, that point. And I told Whitney, I said, you know, I, I don't care how fast a person is moving. I have respect for every single person I, I see as they, they come to that point because they're just, some of them, well, there's a guy wearing like a big orange costume. I did not have respect for him. But, <laughs> but it just, just, you think about that, that human effort of, of, of perseverance. I say, you know, I just, I just respect this, 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 this attempt here to, to, to do this. And, and that we, when we think of perseverance, we often think of, of human effort. So persevering, we, 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 we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we, we keep on going. But that's not how Scripture thinks of perseverance. Here's, here's how one theologian put it. Perseverance, and this, this, this is perseverance that all true biblical faith has, that the faith that saves, that brings us eternal life, perseverance, that type of perseverance means that all those who are truly born again will be, will be kept by God's power, will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Now, is that encouraging to you or, or discouraging? Let, let me read it again. When we say that we're talking here about the perseverance of the saints, those, those who are truly saved keep on going. What that means is that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end of their lives have been truly born again. Is that encouraging or discouraging? It can be both, right? On the one hand, it's, it's encouraging 
Because as I think about the Christian life and about what it means to follow after Christ and discipleship, it can be overwhelming to think, man, I'm, I'm 42 years old right now, and if the Lord allows me to continue to live, that, that's going to be a very difficult thing right, in, in my mind to continue year after year of continuing to, to follow after the Lord. That's, that's not something I can do. And so it's encouraging to think, look, the same God who predestined me before the foundation of, of time, who called me, who chose me, who allowed me to have faith, that, that same God is going to be the same God who is allowing me to persevere in my faith in my faith. That is hugely encouraging to me, but it's also a warning, right? Because as I see those temptations to sin, you think, okay, boy, if I walk down this path and I don't turn down from some, some paths I sometimes go down, if I don't turn from this, there is every indication that my faith is not a faith that's going to persevere, that's going to endure. Here's the main idea I want us to think about this morning in the time that we have left. God, as we look at the, the life of, of Caleb here, here, here's the main idea I want us to see. God helps his people continue to trust in him until they've received the inheritance, okay? God helps his people continue to trust in him until they've received their inheritance, that's the main idea that I want us to think about together this morning. God helps his people continue to trust in him until they've received his inheritance. And we're going to look here at the story of Caleb, and we're going to see three actions that are, that are characteristics of the fruit of true saving faith. So I have this saving faith from God. Caleb, Caleb has this saving faith that he believes God's promises, and there's actions that, that flow from that. We need to be encouraged as we see these in our lives and, and warned when we don't. So here's the first thing. The first characteristic of a fruit of, of genuine faith is genuine faith is going to trust God despite difficulty. And turn, if you're not already there, turn back to Joshua 14 and look at how it begins. In fact, I'm going to go, you can stay there in, 13, in 14. I'm going to turn back to 13. As chapter 13 begins, remember Joshua is, is told that it's time to divide up the inheritance, and so they begin to divide up the inheritance. And then it starts with the people of Judah. Uh, they're going to, to come to Joshua first here, it says in verse 6, at Gilgal. Our tension as we look at this, this scene, our tension very quickly shifts, you'll notice, from all the representatives of Judah to these two guys, to Joshua, who we've already been introduced to in the book of Joshua, and to Caleb. And as your attention is drawn to these two guys, you see that they enter into a conversation, and uh, the narrator tells us that it's, it's uh, Caleb and he, he's a part of the tribe of Judah. We saw that from uh, the book of, of Numbers. And as, as, these, as these two begin to talk, you recognize that there's a history between these two men. 
these two old friends approach one another, and these are no ordinary men. These are the, the, literally the last of their kind. There's, there's no school like the old school, right? And, and these guys are like hardcore old school. They have seen it all. And Caleb, his first words to Josh would tell us that there's a rich, deep history between the two. Caleb looks at Josh when he says, you know, you know, Joshua, what Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. Here's this 85-year-old man. He approaches his, his 80-something-year-old friend, and he says, it's time. What God said concerning you and me, I, I've come to remind you of it, and it, it's, it's pay time, right? It's payday. What is he talking about? Keep your finger there in Joshua 14, and let's turn back to Numbers 13. Caleb does a little bit of a flashback here. He's, he says, he says uh, you know what he said concerning you and me, verse 7, I was 40 years old. So it's kind of like this, this flashback. So imagine like the, the flashback sound and the, the scene shifts, and there's a, a younger, hipper-looking Caleb uh, and a younger, hipper-looking Joshua. They are both there standing, preparing to enter into the promised land. And, and Moses has taken Joshua and Caleb, and he's taken these, these two men who are at, really, they're at the prime of life, the, the best age of life, early 40s, where you're, where you're still this, this vibrant, uh, physically fit human being, you're, but yet you have wisdom, too. So it's just this amazing... Look, it's just in the Bible, people. Um, this amazing time of Joshua and Caleb's life, I'm falling apart. Um, this amazing time of Joshua and Caleb's life, and they're, they're there and they're prepared to go into the promised land. And they are part, Joshua and Caleb, this is the flashback, and they're, they're there, they're young-ish, and they are preparing to go as spies into the promised land. And, jo- and, Josh, and Caleb says, you remember that, right? You remember what happened? Here's, here's what it says in Numbers 13. In verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He, said, he says, go to all these territories and find out the land's good or bad. They, they went out. They spied the land from the wilderness of Zin. And, and it tells about all the places they went and what they grabbed. And they, they come back. And they give a report. It says, verse 25 of Numbers 13 at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. Remember, we went through this when we were studying the book of Numbers a few years ago. They come to Moses and Aaron, and, and they bring a report, right? Verse 27, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, and this is its, its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, everywhere you turn, there's, there's bad news. That's what the people are saying. You, you look in one direction, the southern part, you've got... In the Negev, there, there's, there's fortified cities. You look at the Amalekites in the hill country, and they're there, and the, the Hittites, the Jebusites. Everywhere you go, see along the Jordan, there's the Amorites uh, and the Canaanites. This, this is just not going to go well, is, is essentially what these ten spies are saying. 
But Caleb, he says, remember in, in the book of Joshua, as he's talking to Joshua, he says, I brought word as was in my heart. What was in his heart? Look at verse 30 of Numbers 13, this, in this flashback scene, and, and look at what was in Caleb's heart. It says, but Caleb quieted the people. In other words, that, that's not a good sign. It means the people were beginning to murmur. And Caleb says, hey, 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 hush, hush, hush. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go. Blah, blah, blah. Let's go up at once. Let's do this. Let's occupy it. We are able, well able, to overcome it. Now, the, the people, the ten spies who are giving the Nevada report say, okay, well, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But what does Caleb say? No, no, let, let's go. Let's go now. Time, time's a-wasting. Let's, let's go right now and occupy it. At once, we're well able. What is that? That is a heart of faith. Despite the difficulty, this heart trusts God, right? Now, as you look at this Keep your finger there in Numbers 13, because we're going to go back there. But you go back to Joshua 14, if you would. And what gives Joshua, his con- uh, Caleb, his confidence? Caleb's confidence is not just in, it's, it's not at all grounded in the people. He doesn't say, look, we're well able because, I mean, we're in our early 40s. We're super strong. I mean, that's, that's not what it is. What is his confidence? Over and over again, look, look in Joshua 14, we see that his confidence is in God's word. Um, verse 6, verse 10, twice, and verse 12, twice, it talks about according to the, the word of the Lord, because this is what the Lord said. There is confidence that Caleb has that is grounded upon, upon God's special revelation to him. Now, here's my point. The heart of faith, the heart of genuine saving faith says, I'm going to trust God despite difficulties. And what it says is, I'm going to see what God has revealed to, to me in, in his word, and I'm going to act on that. So often, I hear pe- people tell me or, or tell others, God has told me such and such. The concerning thing to me is that very often those words, God has told me such and such, such, the, the such and such is not anything biblical, right? There, there's no biblical basis for that, that confidence in what God has supposedly told them. You know? You know, God has told me to make this career change. God has, God has told me to uh, leave this church. God has told me to leave my marriage. God has told me to pursue this opportunity. Now, some of these things may be perfectly fine things to do. You know, it may be perfectly fine to, to move or to change careers. It may be God's calling them to a different ministry. All those things could certainly be true. But my concern is, first of all, there's not the, 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 the same, I don't have the same biblical confidence that this is, is what God has told them to do. And secondly, sometimes the things that God has supposedly told us to do are, are patently unbiblical. Like this is clearly at odds with God's revealed will. And, and then my other concern, my other concern is that oftentimes what we think that God has told us is, is suspiciously self-serving, right? 
It, it's suspiciously self-serving. It, I, it's very rare for someone to say, you know what, God has really revealed to me that I need to take this, this other job that pays less and is going to be in a demotion so that I can be deep, more deeply involved in caring for my family. I would feel much more comfortable if someone came to me and said, hey, Daniel, I really feel like God is calling me to suffer more this next year. I said, well, what makes you think that? Well, you know, I was thinking about what, what God reveals in his word about all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I was looking at my life, and why am I not facing difficulty? And God is really convicting me of, of my, my love of the things of this world, and I, I'm not suffering because I'm really not following Christ in discipleship. I would say, I think you have a word from the Lord there. That seems legitimate. Right? And they say, well, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I know. Genuine biblical faith says, okay, I'm, I'm going to see what God has revealed to me in his word, and I'm, I'm going to trust it despite the difficulty. In fact, if, if I don't see difficulty in my life, there's going to be a concern. Am I, am I truly trusting God and following Christ in the difficult road of discipleship? I don't trust God to help me do the things he hasn't told me to do. Caleb sees this happen. Caleb, in Numbers 14, the people get all excited. Well, we, we did something wrong. Now we're going to go and we're going to fight. And it goes, God's, God wants us to do this. God didn't tell them to do this. And it goes disastrously. disastrously. Caleb has seen that happen. God hasn't told you to abandon the truth of his word. God has not called you to pursue and find happiness in your idols. That's not what it means to trust God. God doesn't say, follow me so you can find fulfillment in your idols. Fulfillment in your idols. He has called you to commit yourself to God's word, to see his desires for you. God's, God's less concerned with your success and more concerned with your sanctification. Difficulty is a component necessary to true discipleship. Here's the second thing we see about trusting God. Genuine biblical faith, another characteristic of the fruit of saving faith, is going to be a trust in God despite opposition. A trust in God despite opposition. Look, so look again at Joshua, and then we're going to turn back to Numbers here in just a second. Verse 8 of Joshua 14. Remember, this is, this is Caleb talking to Joshua, and he's, he's still in the flashback here about 45 years ago. He says, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. So turn back to Numbers, and what is he talking about here? He's talking about the opposition that he encountered from the other spies who had gone with him and Caleb into the land. Caleb tells, remember we're kind of there in Numbers 13, verse 30, but then it says in verse 31, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And then you come into chapter 14, and how the people are going to respond. It says that they believe the report of the ten tribes. They, they wail and they cry, This is not... The response of faith. They say in verse 2 of Numbers 14, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones are going to become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And now Caleb and Joshua and Moses 
are gravely concerned. What in the world is happening here? They are on the verge of entering into the promised land, into what God has told them he's going to give them. They're on the, 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 the edge of receiving their inheritance, and now the people who at times had expressed faith in Yahweh are demonstrating their complete and total unbelief. And Joshua, the son of Nun, this says in verse 6, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they said to all the congregation, the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't fear the people of the land. They are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then, in an ultimate act of defiance, in an ultimate act that reveals hearts of unbelief, the people hear Joshua and Caleb say this. And what's their response to this exhortation to trust God? Let's stone them. Caleb, here in Joshua, says, You remember, my brothers went up with me. They made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord. He's underselling it somewhat, right? The opposition that he and Joshua faced together. The people who followed the report of the ten spies had had some faith, a temporary faith, but not true biblical faith. It proves ultimately to be unbelief because it's not sustained. It's not sustained. It's, it doesn't persevere. It, it was proven to be a temporary assent to truth, not full trust. As the writer of Hebrews says, In Hebrews chapter 3, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And it says in verse 18, To whom do you swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Verse 19, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Caleb says, I, I wholly follow the Lord. We see this about him in verse 8, verse 9, verse 14 here in Joshua 14. There's an absolute commitment to the Lord. And as he says this to Joshua, Joshua remembers what has taken place. And he says, remember what Moses promised me. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. And think about the pressure Caleb and Joshua faced. At times, the cost of following God is going to be very, very high. And yet, what does God call us to? To pursuit of him even in the midst of opposition. I believe there are going to be increasing temptations for those of us who are or evangelical Christians who would say, okay, I believe in, in God's word as the source of my authority. There are going to be 
increasing pressures on you in variety of ways to abandon the faith. And some of the calls to abandon biblical faith are going to be couched in, in ways that would seem to allow you to continue in the faith while not holding to the faith, if that makes sense. So, for example, there are going to be external pressures from, from our culture. And, and some of you are already facing these external cultures. This is just an example. There are, there are many examples we could give, but, but this is an example that many of us can think of. There are going to be pressures on you to change your standards of what you believe the Bible says about human sexuality about what it means to be made in God's image as male and female, about what it means to, to live a life of morality, about what it means to be involved in a marriage relationship and, and to pursue that in, in faithfulness. That's taken place over the last decades. It's going to continue and continue, and the pressure is going to get greater and greater. And there are going to be, there are going to be voices that would claim to be Christian voices that would say, look, Here's a way that we can, we can take what God's word has said and, and we can kind of make a couple of changes here and there. We can allegorize some things. We can, we can take the clear teaching of scripture and we can, can change some things. And you can still call yourself a Christian and believe something different about what God's word says concerning how God would have us act as his, his people. And that is going to be incredibly tempting. The pressures that you face from not just externally, but other believers who are going to be wanting to make concessions in areas like these are, are going to be tremendous. But it's not just, it's not just the, the big bad world out there, right? There are going to be pressures that, that we face just, just internally as we think about what it means to live a life of, of personal holiness and what it means to, in terms of, of what what intake I take into my life, what shows I'm going to watch, what entertainment I'm involved in and participating in. And we are going to be tempted to, to turn to one another and say, well, you know, I, know that, I know that this Christian watches this TV show. I know that the, this Christian engages in this type of entertainment. And if they do it, then I guess it's okay for me to do it as well. And there's going to be a temptation not wholly follow the Lord because of, of opposition and pressure. It's much easier to conform than to commit to following after the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we need each other to hold fast. The gospel message tells us that we are, we, we, are, we are sinners who are in line of God's wrath, and then God, by his grace, saves us. He redeems us and allows us to, to enter into relationship with him. And, and as we do so, as our hearts are transformed, we have new life, and we desire to, to seek the Lord. And part of God's process of continuing to conform us to the image of his Son is for a group of redeemed people to call one another and say, look, I... I I, I love you, and I, and I love the Lord, and I desire us as a community of faith to walk in obedience to God and encourage one another in this relationship. We need each other to be voices of support, not opposition to following the Lord. Think about, I was thinking about, it, thinking about this, this idea of, of opposition to the faith and, and being influenced by others. I was thinking about our, our membership commitment statement, this, this statement that we as members agree in, in principle to, to pursue, part of it says this, we will, by God's gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully commit with one another to strive 
to do these things by the grace of God, recognizing that of ourselves we would surely fail. By God's grace, we will work and pray for the unity of the, the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will act in Christian love toward one another by refusing to gossip, by resolving conflicts spiritually. We'll exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will rejoice at each other's happiness, endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. That's what the Christian life is to look like. That's what the heart of genuine faith should be exhibiting as we pursue the Lord. Caleb pursues despite opposition because his faith is genuine. And here's the last characteristic. A final action that's characteristic of the fruit of saving faith. Genuine saving faith is going to trust God despite delay. Despite delay. Joshua, says Caleb, Joshua, you remember what happened 45 years ago. You remember how ready I was then. Remember 45 years ago, Caleb stands in front of the people and says, let's go now. Like he, he was impatient 45 years ago to go into this place. And can you imagine how he has felt over the last 45 years? Look at what he says. He says, God has kept me alive. So, so I, he still believes what God has said. He, he, he believes that what God has said is going to take place. And he says, God has done two things that are remarkable, that, that show that his word is true. One, he's kept me alive. Forty-five years have gone by. I'm still alive. That's, that's remarkable. You know what else is remarkable, says Caleb? I, I'm still able to fight. I don't know, I don't know how much of this is, is, is Caleb's... Uh, Caleb's speaking in terms of faith and how much it is like just objectively he's, he's super strong. I, I don't know, but um, he's certainly speaking with faith, right? As an 85-year-old, look, I still have the ability to hold a sword and to go out there and, and take care of business as the Lord enables. Now, he says, give me the hill country. What was the hill country? You know that part of the promised land, Caleb says, that everybody was so afraid of? You know that part where they say, oh, they're so strong. That's my territory. Give it to me. I'm ready. I've been waiting 45 years for this. And unlike those who are presumptuous with God's will, Caleb is still humbled enough to say, look, it may be, he says in verse 12, that the Lord will be with me. In other words, I don't know for sure that it's going to be through me that he's going to do this. Maybe it'll be through my descendants. But if the Lord allows, I will drive them out. Again, what does he say? As the Lord said, I still believe, despite 45 years of waiting, I still believe. I believed it then. I believed it at 10 years. I believed it at 15 years. I believed it at 20 years. I believed it at 30 years. I believed it at 35 years. I believed it when we entered the, over the, the Jordan River. I still believe it today. I'm ready. Joshua, I recognize your leadership. Now, please, for crying out loud, let me do what the Lord has said. And Joshua blesses him. Is God's delay a cause for doubting for you? In other words, can you, can you look at an area of your life and you say, you know, God hasn't dealt in this area as quickly as I think he should have, therefore I, I doubt his goodness. I, I doubt his word, I doubt his promise. Some of us have been waiting 
for a work situation to be resolved, a marriage relationship, our spouse has not responded the way that we believe that she should, our, uh, our, our teacher hasn't responded in the way that we believe that he should, our siblings haven't responded in the way that we should, and, and, we, and, and we say, you know what, I've, I've tried, I've tried to be obedient, and now, I've tried to be obedient in this area of my life, but, but look, how long am I really supposed to wait? I've been patient with my parents for 30 years. I've been patient with my spouse for the last five years of being restless. How long am I really supposed to keep being obedient? Here's, here's what God says. Genuine faith says I'm going to continue to trust God despite delay. I'm going to be obedient to God at year one in a tough situation. I'm going to be obedient to, your, to God in year 30 of a tough situation. And I would just say if you're struggling with something right now and you're saying, should I continue, here's my advice. Give it another 45 years, okay? Give it another 45, and then we'll talk again, right? And I'll tell you, keep trusting God. Why? Because that's what genuine biblical faith does. Are you saved, right? Are you saved? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? God tells us that the person who's placed their faith or trust in Jesus Christ isn't just praying a prayer for a moment, isn't just saying, I, I kind of believe God for right now. Genuine biblical faith tells us that God is going to help his people continue to trust in him until they've received their inheritance. And we're going to keep on talking about trusting God and his kingdom promises in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. And we, we thank you that, that by your grace, we have salvation. We pray that you would be very kind to us. We pray that you would continue to hold us fast as only you can. We recognize that left to ourselves, we would surely fail. And so we are grateful to you this morning that you love us and are gracious to us. For those this morning who have not placed their faith in your son Jesus, I pray that you would draw them even this morning. You would convict their hearts and allow them to, to see the beauty of your son Jesus and trust in him. And for those who have placed their faith in your son Jesus, allow us to continue to walk in love for him and you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.